Hello, curiosity seekers and adventurous thinkers. Welcome to Applied Curiosity Lab Radio, the podcast for the relentlessly curious. This season, our host and Applied Curiosity Lab's chief curiosity seeker, Becky Saltzman, will be sharing the studio with ACL's chief experience producer and favorite sister, Jennifer Felberg. The lens is, and always will be, curiosity. Each week, fun informal conversations center around one delectable curiosity bite, designed to give your brain the time and ideas to think about thinking, to flex your curiosity muscle, and maybe even revolutionize the way you think. What is amazing is that, I don't know if I was eight or 10, but no older than 10, we would all walk down several blocks down the street and pile into some random bus where the bus driver would take us to berry picking farms. Mom and dad didn't know where we were. We would pick the berries all day and come back with berries all over our bodies and like three bucks to our daily earnings. But the thing that I remember more than anything else was that there was this group of people, maybe three or four kids that were deaf and they taught us sign language on the bus. And pretty much the only gestures we learned were really vulgar. Then we learned the ABCs. That is a life skill that I still have to this day, the ABCs and a few of the vulgar sign language gestures. And now that they are having more people do sign language along with the news and the expressiveness, I can't help but think you would be an amazing sign language person on the news. We both would be. I kind of want to do it. I mean, if I had all the time in the world to do everything, that would be on my list. Mom took sign language. You remember that? She took sign language, actually. And the one thing I do remember that she learned was that you are supposed to have those expressive faces because a lot of the signs are the same, but you have to have the expression in your face in order to communicate it properly. So you're right. We would be good at it. Oh, so I didn't know that that's why. You know, so much of what I think about life skills, and I'll get to the curiosity bite in a minute, you brought up mom, is are things that mom taught us that I am just not sure. I feel like the traditional sense of the word privilege to have had mom as a mom. Like I remember her telling me, don't chew gum. And I'm a gum chewer, you know, still to this day, don't chew gum and don't take your friends with you when you go job hunting. A lot of times you get their friends together and they'd all go look to make applications at the mall together. And mom said, do not do that. That's not professional. And I remember when, remember when mom taught all those immigrants, it was during the time right after Pol Pot and all those kids came from Southeast Asia and mom taught them kind of life skills. And she was so qualified. And I feel the beneficiary of a lot of those really basic life skills. And that leads to the curiosity bite. You ready? Yep. What life skills are rarely taught, but are extremely useful? When one comes to mind, when you think of one life skill that is rarely taught, but is extremely useful, what is the life skill that comes to mind? Empathy. Mm. Right now, now more than ever. (laughs) And I don't mean the coronavirus, but kids, we've talked about how kids have been raised and not to say no, not to say no to your kids and really focus on building this self-esteem and not hurting their self-esteem. I think we are losing our skill to have empathy. And like we've said before, it's not sympathy, but empathy to be able to see 
the other's point of view, not just completely away from yourself. I, I feel like we're losing that ability. Do you think we ever had it? I think that some of us were taught that. Uh, not, not everybody. I think it's a big mistake not to help people see other people's point of view better. That's why I've gotten involved with you more because I really believe that your curiosity information helps with that. If you're going to use empathy as a specific example, one of the most important things about empathy is etch-a-sketch, shaking that etch-a-sketch so you literally don't bring you to the to the point of view. So if you, for example, let's say I ask you, all right, what would make a boss roll her eyes? And you bring <laughs> yourself to that boss's role, then that's less of an exercise in empathy than if you think of a boss that is totally unlike you. And that is how you can start really, because it's very difficult because it's hard. I mean, you're getting in, you know, we're using our own tool to get inside and look out. But to the extent that you can play a role where you don't bring any of yourself, that's how you get closer. And then you can, from there, move, move closer to your own, you know, points of view. Learning about the moral foundations, that was so useful for me to be able to have empathy. I, it opened up a whole new world for me. And I wish I had studied that alongside you before I made plenty of mistakes. That is such a useful tool. And we were going to teach that. Empathy, you think, is the life skill. I do. I'm going to ask you these life skills and you tell me whether you have learned them sufficiently or whether you wish you had or you don't really care. I'm also... <laughs> I'll start easy. You ready? I'm nervous. I'm nervous. I, I bet you I don't know any of these things. Changing a tire from start to finish. Oh, I have done that. Yes. No. And you would know how to do it now. Absolutely. Okay. How about speed reading? No, I'm a very slow reader. Plus, I only have one eye and I didn't learn how to do. I remember somebody trying to teach me how to do speed read. It might have been you. And it just didn't work for me. It's like reading the first line of the paragraph and then finding key. I remember learning it. I just didn't. I remember being taught it. I don't remember really mastering. All right. What about in an emergency? Could you turn off your water or gas at the main? I can turn off my water because it happened to me. <laughs> two years ago, or about a year ago, but not the gas. I don't know where it is. I should. Okay. But after this, I'm going to go find All it. All right. Do you know how to undo? Because you use Gmail, right? I don't use Gmail. Do you use Gmail? I use Gmail. I hate it, but I use it. Do you know how to undo a send in Gmail? No. You can do that? Yes, we'll put a link to that in the show notes. <gasps> only like for a period of time, but there is a way to do that. How about using a fire extinguisher? Yes. You know how to use a fire extinguisher. And you guys have- Yes. I mean, I've had to do that because I worked in health, you know, in the healthcare what about industry. Your house? So in my house, I have an Airbnb. So it's required for an Airbnb to have fire extinguishers. So I have one upstairs and one downstairs in the Airbnb. So yes. What about surviving a rip tide? surviving a rip current in the ocean. That is another one that I remember somebody trying to teach us. I think at camp at, <laughs> when we would go out in the ocean. I know I've heard all about the riptide, but I don't know if I could do it now. Do, do you know? I know that you're supposed to swim parallel to the shore and not try the horizon. I thought it was something about the horizon. Yeah. Yeah. Cause the shore can kind of disorient you. I think. I can't remember. I guess if you can't see the shore, maybe the horizon is a better option. I'd put it this way. I think we could afford to learn a little bit more about that life skill. What about 
time. No, because I ha- I have no desire to go into the ocean anymore. <laughs> that is just something I'm done what with. You fell off like swimming. Ship. No, no, I mean, that's fine. But swimming in the you ocean. You might fall off the ship and you have to know what to do. <laughs> You'd be like, sharks, come and eat me. I'm done. Put a fork. You're here. There's nothing to fear. Oh, except. See, I got to find a reason to, to sing. You do. All right, time management. What do you mean by that? Do you, have you learned the skill of time management? Not just in general, I've learned some tips and tricks, but like, have you really studied time management as a life skill? I have only because I used to teach my employees different tools for being in a team and being a leader. And I've taken a thousand leadership courses. So I think I'm actually really good at time management. And it's not just jotting down lists. It's not just having a great app for your calendar. It really is about strategic thinking and coming up with great ideas to save time and save energy. I I actually think I have that skill. That's one of my skills. How about you? What about reading a profit and loss or operating statement? A profit loss I've had to do. Operating statement... I've had to do forecasting and I've had a budget that I've had to manage quite a big budget that I've had to manage. And I've been on finance teams and things like that, but if it really came down to it, I wouldn't say that I, I again, it has to do with math. So I'm not very good at at that. I'll just fall asleep. All right. This is an important one. I want to know if you have these skills. Wait a minute. I've got, uh, yes, that skill I do have, but this is one that is very important. Making an animal balloon. That's a life skill I'm very curious about. I can make a snake. (laughs) (laughs) I swear to God, my breath has gotten so weak. I don't even know if I can blow up one of those damn animal balloons. You do have asthma, don't you? Yeah, not always, but it's there. I mean, all right. What about CPR? Are we going to go? Yes. All right. Rubik's cube. Can you do a Rubik's cube? No. Just one side, not the whole thing. I can do one side. (laughs) Jesus, I can probably do that. You know how I can do a Rubik's cube? With paint. I think one time I took the sticks off and put it back on. Sticks? There's little stickers. Oh. It's, they're stickers. Oh, they are? <laughs> yeah. That's a cheap one. That's only if they're a really cheap Rubik's Cube. What about, can you make a fire without matches? I mean, I watch Naked and Afraid, so I think I could, but I, I don't, probably not. All right. Now, if I had Flint, if I had Flint, you? Well, Flint? With YouTube, but without the tubages, probably not. I mean, I know I would rub and rub and rub like, you know, we did as kids. (laughs) I don't know. I mean, I don't think I could. All right. This is the last one because I want you to be able to get to your list. But this one has to do with etiquette and manners. And it turns out that etiquette and manners are very culturally specific. So something that was a traditional English etiquette and manners might be slightly different than French. Like if you're eating at a fine French restaurant, there may be different things with the different forks and crap versus if you're eating like down home Southern barbecue, you wouldn't want to use those same kinds of things. It would look weird. I mean, you would look as weird or even different kinds of ethnic food. Yeah. Do you remember when you learned to use a chopstick? I don't remember when I learned, but I remember in second grade, Ross Ng brought chopsticks and we all learned to use chopsticks. <laughs> what about an et- etiquette and manners? Do you feel that no matter what the scenario, you would be able to know all the different forks and where the cups and the this and the goblets and that? I was trained at one point, but I can't remember. I remember some forks, I remember some cups, but I don't remember, and some plates. But 
just because I've worked in the food industry and I've uh, worked in event industry. So I had to learn that setting up for a wedding or a, a bar mitzvah, but I, I know. And in any ethnic situation, absolutely not. Like I know in some Asian cultures, you're supposed to burp when you're done with your meal because it's supposed to say that you enjoyed the meal. So no, I would totally fail it. That's a really good point. And I think when people hear etiquette and manners, they think of the etiquette and manners of their culture and don't really think about how that would translate to other cultures. Are you ready for my list? I am. Good. We are talking about these different things that we need to learn and, and, and that we haven't learned or we have, but sometimes we just throw out these ideas and it's like, what, what is the skill? So I want to ask you through the list, what would be the skill for those things? Right. You get what I mean? I do. Okay. So these are things that are called life skills and you're asking me, how would you measure it? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. How do you measure certain things or how do you even know what that skill is? So the first one is empathy, which is funny that that's what I used for mine. What, what, how do you measure whether you have empathy? How do you know that you have that skill? What are the skills that we would have to teach if we were to teach how to get that skill? All right, I'm going to give you one thing that I would use as a measure. Whether I could make the argument of people who think differently than me. I could effectively make their argument. That's how I would measure empathy. And again, bringing back that those moral foundations, that is that that was so useful for me. Well, we're going to roll that out in the colleges and we're going to do some corporate training around moral foundation theory, but that all I hope so. I hope come so. after our some of the other workshops. All right. <laughs> and speaking of which, critical thinking. Critical thinking would be measured by the time that you are able to catch yourself not critically thinking versus the amount of time you're able to catch other people not critically critically thinking. For example, in the case of bias, it's not about being able to identify biases in other people. It's about when you are able to identify your own biases and when that led you astray. Understanding all the different types of bias. It's so fun. This is fun because this is all stuff that I've learned with you going through and all these years of working with you. Understanding all of the different types of bias, I think really helps with that, looking in towards yourself. The, uh, the elements of thought. If you could identify the elements of thought, that would be another critical thinking skill. Oh, interesting. Okay. Next, creative thinking. Creative thinking instead of critical thinking. How do you measure what's creative and what's not? And what would you teach to help someone be more creative? How would I measure? I mean, I'm going to stick with how I would measure because how you would teach, how you would measure, those are totally, totally different things. Yeah. I would measure creative thinking by how much I or someone, was. would I be measuring it myself? Let's just say I'm measuring it myself. How much I took a, apart the components and put them back together in a way that was not obvious. That's that advertising masterclass too. That's what they just blew my mind. I don't know how they thought of those things and put those things together. Just amazing. Next one, decision-making. Decision-making has measurable components. So one of the things that I would do would be, I mean, this is just, you know, because some of these things are, you know, my, my wheelhouse. 
that's why I'm asking you, because this is all you, baby. Well, the decision making, I there are many ways that I could measure decision making, but one I would call it I call it the alphabet spread. So have I have I done the alphabet spread? Meaning if I have looked at something as option A to do and option B not to do, have I shoved B down to maybe H and and looked at options B, C, D, E, and F, and G. In other words, have I created more space for more options before making a decision? Even if it was quick, you know, it might be, should I leave my boyfriend or should I stay in the relationship? And if I just quickly made more space for more options, that would be a measure of a more effective decision-making, for example. Great. Problem solving, which is not the same as decision making. No, and these are all components. And there, if there were Venn diagrams, there would certainly be a lot of overlap with all of these things. But one of the ways that I would evaluate is not where the Venn diagrams all come together, but where they are apart. So where is the unique component of problem solving that is different than decision making? Because not all decisions involve a problem per se. So being able to crisply identify if something is a problem and why would be how I would measure problem solving. Yeah, it's very important to understand what the actual problem is before you start to solve the problem. And a lot of times that has to be agreed upon with the others that are involved, with the stakeholders. I agree. Yeah, that's the first step. Well, I think right? the first step is just to, to deciding whether it really is a problem and for whom. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Effective communication. Love that one. Whether the recipient absorbed the message in the way that the communicator intended. And how would the communicator know? By asking clarifying questions to make sure. Great. And the last one is interpersonal relationships. A life skill of interpersonal relationships. I don't think that you can measure the effectiveness of an interpersonal relationship because it's too nebulous a thing. That would be like saying, you know, atmosphere. I don't, I mean, a good interpersonal relationship, a bad interpersonal relationship. I mean, I, I don't, I don't, is that a life skill? I don't think interpersonal relationships is a skill like effective communication is a skill or problem solving is a skill or decision making is a skill. Right. Maybe I'm thinking about it wrong. I don't know. Well, can you have successful interpersonal relationships? Anyway, that's it. Those are the lists. All right. If you had to pick one life skill, not the empathy that you think is most important, but a measurable life skill, because we can not something that you're going to work on continuously, try to get better, but you don't have it now and you do have it tomorrow, what would that life skill be? Like you're done, not a continuous growth life skill, but something concrete. What would that be? And this gets to the sort of fact. That's why I'm asking. I would like to speak other languages. All right. What language do you want to speak? Mandarin. All right. Or Spanish. A study that, uh, this is so weird. Are you saying that because of this PU? Did you look at my research? I mean, I attended PU for just a year. I didn't graduate, but I attended PU so Sometimes I think the information is, was available to me. I don't think you attended PU. I think you went to PU. Right, exactly. I attended, but I did not graduate. He went to Harvard because he went to Harvard once. He went to Harvard. He didn't graduate. I sung on Broadway. Huh? You sung on Broadway? 
I performed at the Apollo Theater. But you really did. That's not that's not the same thing. But it's close. <laughs> Closer than I want to admit. All right. A study at a PU found that 78% of the people who were asked what specific life skill they wanted to acquire, totally achievable, totally doable, spent 3% of the rest of their life working to achieve it. Thanks for listening. And I really hope you enjoyed the episode. Before you take off, I have a few more things to let you know about. One, you can find show notes for every episode of ACLR and links to all resources mentioned at applycuriositylab.com forward slash blog. It's there that we'll wait to read your answers to each week's curiosity bite. Two, in order to avoid missing curiosity bitten conversations, Subscribe to Applied Curiosity Lab Radio on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, and all the other spots that podcasts hang out and wait to be discovered. Toss up a review, especially if you have nice things to say. Finally, for all things Applied Curiosity, including information on workshops and your free membership to the Tribe of the Curious, go to ApplyCuriosityLab.com. In the meantime, elevate curiosity.